Please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Our message series is called Jesus the Master Teacher. We are looking at a series of Jesus' teachings uh, as found in Matthew chapters 18 through 20. And we said earlier that the, the teaching, teachings in these chapters represent what we might call occasional teaching from Jesus, occasional teaching. In other words, these are various teachings that were prompted by specific occasions. And the first occasion, the occasion that prompted the first set of teachings that we've been looking at, was when the disciples came up to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that prompted all of the teachings that we've looked at so far. But today we come to a new occasion, a new occasion. Uh, Peter came up and asked Jesus a question about forgiveness. That's the new occasion. Jesus responded with some teaching and a parable uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. That's a lot of verses in the message this morning. But to get started, I'm just going to read verses 21 and 22. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Here's the occasion now. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we open your word this morning, as we look at this Uh, amazing teaching from Jesus and the parable that follows. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Uh, Lord, we have people that we need to forgive in our lives. And uh, so, Lord, we need this message today. So help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I imagine that some of us did not like last week's message of withholding forgiveness without repentance. We don't like this whole idea of having to confront someone else with their sin or, or, or disciplining, church, the church disciplining another believer. I imagine some of us didn't like that message so much last week. Well, guess what? A number of us are probably not going to like today's message of unlimited forgiveness either. We are an obstinate people. God says, withhold forgiveness when there's no repentance. And we say, that's too harsh. Then God says, practice unlimited forgiveness when there is repentance. We say, that's too gracious. You know what it really comes down to is that we want to extend or withhold forgiveness on our terms. On our own terms rather than on God's terms. And God says, you cannot do that when you belong to me. Now, we've summed up the earlier messages in our series as follows. Number one, Jesus loves the little children, and so should we. Remember that? That's how we started. Jesus loves the little children, and so should we. Then we moved on to number two, God takes sin seriously, and so should we. Then we moved on to number three, God seeks the wanderer, and so should we. You know what? We can sum up today's message this way. 
God offers unlimited forgiveness, and so should we. Looking at our text this morning, first, Jesus teaches us about the measure of forgiveness, and then he tells the parable in which he explains to us the motivation for forgiveness. There's an outline in your worship guide. I'd encourage you to take that out at this time to follow along in these points and others, uh, and maybe jot down some notes as we go through this passage together. So we're going to talk about the measure of forgiveness first, the measure of forgiveness. We see this in verses 21 and 22, the verses that we just read. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. How many times should you forgive? You know, last week we examined the steps we should take when the sinning brother does not repent. And I think that got Peter thinking, you know. And Peter probably starts thinking, like, well, what if he does repent? I mean, I, I, I know I need to forgive him, but, but what if he sins against me again? And then again, how far does this forgiveness thing go? Obviously, there must be a cutoff, but where is that? I wonder what the cutoff is. And so Peter asked Jesus the question, Lord, how many times? How many times do I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? You know, the rabbis, the rabbis in those days taught that you should forgive a person three times. Three strikes and you're out, right? Three times, but not the fourth. Peter ups the ante by doubling the rabbi's limit of three. Three times two is six. He adds one for good measure. Probably felt pretty good about himself, right? Good old foot in the mouth Peter, right? We've seen Peter always sticking his foot in his mouth. But you know what? Before we get on Peter's case, I want us each to ask each of ourselves, ask yourself, how often do you forget? Peter was willing to go seven, but, you know, a lot of us don't forgive the first time. Never mind seven. And Jesus' answer must have devastated Peter's sense of pride and goodwill. Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, I wonder what Peter and the other disciples thought when Jesus first said, not seven times, right? Just, just pause there for a minute. You know, how much should I forget? Seven times? No, not seven times. They probably thought Peter had gone too high. Right? You know, can't you just imagine Jesus pausing here for dramatic effect? You know, sort of drawing them into it. Peter says, up to seven times. Jesus says, seven times? No, not seven times. No way, not on your life. Not seven times. They're waiting for a lower number. He goes, no, 77 times. And you know what? Jesus may have gone even higher than that because this phrase 77 times could also be translated 70 times 7. It may be that. And that would be 490. But you know what? Either way, the point is the same. Jesus is saying this. We are not to put any limits on our forgiveness. There is no cutoff. Whether 77 times 70 times 7 or 700 times 7,000, no limits. And Jesus is probably alluding here to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, where a man named Lamech boasted this way. He said, I have killed a man for wounding me. 
a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And you know what Lamech's boast here is a picture of unlimited revenge. This young man, whoever he was, had merely wounded him. Lamech responded with murder. What Jesus is saying here is this. The Christian's capacity for forgiveness must be as unlimited as the human capacity for revenge. And just as Lamech's revenge went far beyond an eye for an eye, Jesus says, so should our forgiveness. But in the opposite direction. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, when it comes to forgiveness, what do you do? You love your enemies. You pray for them. You turn the other cheek. You forgive without measure. You know, I imagine some of us are probably stubborn enough that we would count all the way up to 77 or even 490. <laughs> but you know what? If you are counting, you are not forgiving. And aren't you glad that God doesn't count with us? I'm guessing most of us hit 490 with God a long time ago. But you see, God does not count because God forgives. We read this in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, God doesn't count because God wipes the slate clean each time, every time you confess and repent. I think Peter would probably have been a whole lot happier with Jesus' answer of unlimited forgiveness if he'd only asked the question a different way. If he'd asked Jesus this instead, how many times should someone forgive me when I sin against them? Oh, Peter would have loved the answer then, right? Because we love this idea of unlimited forgiveness when it comes to our own sins, right? We only dislike it when it applies to other people. In their sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. What is the measure of forgiveness? The measure of forgiveness is measureless. Jesus tells us to practice unlimited forgiveness. So that's the measure of forgiveness. Now we're going to go on and talk about the motivation for forgiveness. Because you might be saying in response to Jesus' words, I, I can't do that. How, how can I possibly forgive like that? How can I possibly put no limits on my forgiveness? That's beyond me. That is superhuman. And if you're thinking that, if you're saying that, you know what? You're right. That is beyond us. That is beyond anything we could ever do in our own power. And that's why Jesus tells us this this following parable. He wants to answer the question, how can I do it? How can I possibly forgive other people the way Jesus tells me to here in verse 22? 
This parable that we're about to look at, this parable is for all of us who have ever said, I will never forgive that person for what they've done to me. I will never forgive them. This parable is for you and for me. And as we look at this parable together, it's important to remember a parable is different than an allegory. In an allegory, you take each individual detail and it lines up with something else. But in a parable, you're just taking the story as a whole. And the details are there. They help to carry the story along. But you don't look for uh, you know, a meaning for each individual detail. Usually, it's making one big point, one or two main points. So now we come to where Jesus shares the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the parable begins with the master settling accounts with his servant. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, we're going to see there's a lot of money involved here. So these were probably uh, not servants who did menial labor. Uh, These were probably high-ranking civil servants responsible for collecting taxes Uh, under the king's jurisdiction. They were entrusted with a a lot of responsibility. They were entrusted with great sums of money. And and now the king calls them before him to settle their accounts. You know what? A similar situation exists between all of us and God, right? All that we have comes from where? It comes from God. And we are responsible to use it all for his glory. And one day the king of the universe will call each of us before him to give him an account of what we have done with our lives and what we've done with the things that he has given us. Jesus continues the story now, verses 24 to 27. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, 10,000 talents is a huge amount of money. You think you're in debt? You could not afford to be in the debt this person is. Have you ever noticed that the richer you are, the more debt you can afford to be in? It's kind of weird. But you could not afford to be in this kind of debt. 10,000 talents is roughly equivalent to, get ready for this, $12 million. Okay? $12 million. Can you imagine being $12 million in debt. Now, it's not so important how this servant ran up that debt. Was it embezzlement? Was it mismanagement? You know, who knows? The emphasis here, though, is on the impossibility of paying this all back. This servant is in deep trouble. And, you, you know, he knew what he owed. Can you imagine when he heard that the king was calling him forward and what he felt? And he goes before the king. He knows this is all going to come out. The king orders that the man, his wife, and all he has be sold to repay the debt. Now, obviously, this, the king, the king he's got no hope of recovering this amount, right? Top price for a slave was not 10,000 talents, it was one talent. That's top price. Average price was one-tenth of that. Okay, so in selling the, the man and his family, he's not going to get his $12 million back, is he? This is more of a punishment than a repayment plan. 
This servant is never going to be able to pay this debt back. That means he and his wife and his children will be slaves for the rest of their lives. Once again, this is a picture of our situation before God. Each of us have sinned against an infinitely holy and almighty God. We owe God a debt that we can never repay. An eternity of service or an eternity of punishment will never repay the debt we owe God because of our sin. And that's why the Bible teaches us the the awful truth of eternal punishment for sin. We've all sinned against God. So when our day of accounting comes, when we're called before the king, what are we going to do? What will we do? And the servant here is desperate. He, he falls on his knees before the king. He begs him. He says, be patient with me. I'll pay it back, okay? I'll pay back everything. But he can't do that. He can't repay. He knows it. The king knows it. And so the king does something just absolutely amazing here. He takes pity on the servant, cancels the debt, and lets him go. Just like that. Can you imagine if Visa or MasterCard called you up and just said, Hey, debt's gone. You can go. You're free. Can you imagine? This phrase, took pity in this verse, means moved with compassion. It's the same word we see used of Jesus time and again when we're told that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. In the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter, when Jesus encounters a widow who had just lost her only son, this same word is translated that Jesus' heart went out to her. I like that. That's what's happening in this parable. The king's heart went out to the servant. He canceled the debt He let him go. He did more than the servant asked, right? The servant just said, give me more time to repay. The king said, "Ah, no. He forgave all of his debt. Do you have compassion for people? Do you have compassion for those who sin against you? When someone offends you, does your heart go out for them? Jesus says the king took pity on the servant, canceled the debt, and let him go. You know, canceling debt, that's actually a very good definition of forgiveness, isn't it? When you forgive someone, that's what you do. You cancel the debt that they owe you. You write it off. You treat the other person as though the offense had never happened. In everything, your demeanor, your words, your actions, you are saying to the other person, you don't owe me anything. That's forgiveness. That's what the king did for the servant. It is a wonderful example of unlimited forgiveness. Not unlimited because of a repeated offense in this case, but because of the magnitude of of the offense. But the point is the same, isn't it? The king did not put a limit or a measure on his forgiveness. 10,000 talents, it might as well have been 10 million talents. He had compassion, he canceled the debt, he let the servant go. That's another thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness always involves a letting go, a releasing of the other person. 
And once we released them, we find ourselves released as well. Released from the cruel prison of bitterness and resentment, which chokes out our freedom and growth in Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus had stopped right there, like if that was the end of the parable... That would be an amazing parable just by itself, right? There's so much we learn just from the first half of this parable. Our sin against God is an incredible debt which we can never repay, but God in his goodness offers us grace that is greater than all our sin. The master canceling the servant's debt, it's shocking. It's amazing. It makes a great parable all by itself. But you know what? Jesus really adds the zinger. Okay, when he steps into the second half of the parable. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to move into Act 2. There's another part here. Look at verses 28 through 30. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Folks, that is unbelievable and not in a good way. After receiving such incredible mercy from the king, Servant goes out, finds a fellow servant, and treats him this way. I want you to notice the many contrasts between the servant and the master. Let me highlight a number of them for you. First of all, there's the contrast between the words brought and found. You know, the original servant was brought before the master, but he went out and found his fellow servant. You know, the first servant, he was just one of many servants who were being brought before the king. But after receiving mercy, what does he do? He intentionally goes out to seek out this poor second servant. Contrast number two is between the king and the second servant. You know, the first servant had a relationship with both. The first servant stood in a vertical relationship with the king. The king had authority over him. The king could do what he pleased. But in the second situation, the two servants, they're fellow servants. This is a horizontal relationship. They are colleagues. Neither one has authority over the other. The only leverage here is because of the debt. Thirdly, there's the contrast between the 10,000 talents that the first servant owed and the 100 denarii that the second servant owed. A talent, just one talent, okay? The first servant owed 10,000 of these, right? One talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. The denarius was the daily wage of a laborer. laborer. It was worth about 18 cents in those days. Multiply that by 100. The second servant owed him about $18 compared to the $12 million that he owed the king. That 100 denarii, that was still something, right? That was 100 days wages for a common laborer in those days. But $18 compared to $12 million, no comparison. Do the math. The first servant's debt was 666,000 times bigger than the second servant's debt. 
We often do the same thing. We think that the sins people commit against us are, are pretty horrible, and sometimes they are. I mean, sometimes people sin against us in terrible ways. But the sins committed against us are actually pretty small compared to our sins committed against God. They pale in comparison. God is infinitely holy. So even one sin against God has infinite magnitude. The fourth contrast is between the words, let him go with the first servant and grabbed him with the second servant, right? The king let the first servant go. The first servant grabbed the second servant. Fifthly, there's a contrast between justice and violence. Notice that the king, before the king had mercy in the first servant, all he did, he simply administered justice. You know, the man paid him a debt he couldn't afford. You know, there's nothing personal here. Uh, It was just justice. But the first servant, when it came his turn, he resorted to personal violence. He not only grabbed the second servant, he started choking him, saying, pay me back. Verse 29 tells us the fellow servant fell to his knees and begged the first servant. He said, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? It should, right? Those are the exact same words that the first servant spoke to the king. Same words. And that brings us to the sixth contrast, which is between the king's compassion and the servant's hardness of heart. The king took pity on his servant when he fell on his knees and begged him. But then that same servant refused his fellow servant when he fell on his knees and begged him. And then the final contrast is between mercy and punishment. The king showed mercy to the first servant, canceled his debt, and then that servant threw his fellow servant into prison until he could pay back his debt. So what happens next? Look at verses 31 to 34. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant back in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger... His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The other servants are distressed when they see all of this. They should be, right? We all should be outraged by such an injustice. Yes, the first servant had a legal right, a legal right to throw his fellow servant into prison, but after the great mercy and forgiveness he'd received, he had no moral right. And this is our situation once again. Sure, we have some sort of right to be offended or angry when someone has sinned against us. But if God has forgiven us, we have no moral right to withhold forgiveness from another when they repent. The other servants tell the master what happened. He calls the servant back in. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be in this servant's shoes at this time, being called back before the king. The master reprimands him, you wicked servant. 
A lack of forgiveness from those who have been forgiven is a great evil. It is great wickedness. The master tells him, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Did it simply because you asked. And then the master says, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? And people, this is really the heart of the parable now. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't I? How is it that some people think that mercy is only for the taking and not for the giving? And the master's words are even stronger in the original language. It's really, must you? Must you not also have mercy? In other words, it is necessary. This is not optional. It is compulsory. We who have been freely forgiven are not free to withhold forgiveness. Shouldn't you, he said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You know, we prayed something similar uh, in the Lord's Prayer earlier this morning, didn't we? Did you mean it? Did you mean it when you prayed, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us? Jesus says the king was angry. Can we provoke God to anger? Absolutely. Notice the king wasn't angry about the size of the debt. Okay, it's not the amount of your sins that makes God angry. No, he was angry with the lack of forgiveness. The magnitude of your sin is no obstacle to God's forgiveness. But the attitude of of your heart is. Let me say that again. The magnitude of your sin is no obstacle to God's forgiveness, but the attitude of your heart is. Jesus says in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You know what? It would have been better if he took the first deal, right? It would have been better for him just to be sold. And notice, this is until he pays everything back, which in this case is forever. He can never pay that debt back. The threat of eternal punishment is a truth of Scripture, which we only ignore at great peril to ourselves and to our loved ones. Jesus saw no conflict between a God who forgives and a God who punishes. Those who are forgiven must also forgive. Finally, just so there are no misunderstandings, Jesus gives us the clear meaning of the parable right at the end. Look at verse 35, our final verse. He says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus says that you and I, you must forgive your brother from the heart. Forgiveness must be genuine, internal, from the heart, not just an external show of forgiveness. And how we need God's help with that. James chapter 4 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we don't do this, if we don't forgive our brother from the heart, Jesus says this 
is how my heavenly Father will treat you. Warren Wearsby wrote, Many Christians have received forgiveness, but because they have never experienced forgiveness, they are unable to extend forgiveness. So how do we get there? You need to meditate long and hard on this parable of the unmerciful servant and upon your own sins against God and his astounding mercy to you. And then once you've done that, see if you can find it in your heart to forgive. I'm going to close with five words of application. Number one, our sins against God are very great. God is infinitely holy, and so our many sins against him are infinite in magnitude. Number two, people's sins against us are relatively small, both in number and magnitude. Number three, God freely forgives our many sins through Christ. Number four, therefore, we should forgive those that sin against us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Number five, if you do not forgive, you will provoke God's anger and discipline. You will experience loss of fellowship with God, loss of joy, loss of God's favor on your life. So let me ask you this morning, is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to forgive today? Someone you need to forgive from your heart? Let me encourage you, don't waste any more time in resentment or bitterness. You have been forgiven far more then you will ever have to forgive. God offers unlimited forgiveness. And so should we. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing teaching, this amazing parable that communicates these important truths to us so clearly. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our lack of forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you would help us with our lack of forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you would help us to find the freedom that comes when we forgive those who sin against us. Not seven times, not 77, not 490, but unlimited forgiveness as you have done with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.